What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Yasser and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. I, I quite like the, the, the question and Really looking forward to everyone who engaging in this. Just a quick reminder, obviously, this is part of a FA accredited series that we have in partnership with Middlesex FA. So at the end of this session, once you complete that uh, self-reflection form, which we'll share in the chat, uh, where it's a Google quick questionnaire, we'll remind you at the end as well. Uh, that'll make you eligible for up to one hour of FA CPD. Just make sure that you, when you do fill in your self-reflection, which is an easy task, it normally takes around a couple of minutes. Um, you make sure you put the right fan number and that way it will get accredited to your fan profile. Uh, but yeah, really looking forward to the question you asked. Um, I think one of the first starting points really for me is how how do you see the game being played? Because the reason why I say that is you've got to have a very clear paradigm in terms of how we view the game, which obviously links to how we want to play and how we want to support and coach and teach. Because some people might think that the game is, you know, based on decisions, but the decisions can be 
you know, scripted and patterned and so forth and rehearsed. And as a result of that, that might influence how people coach. My view is that the game is built upon several triggers and habits. We want to form good habits. We want to get players to recognise and search for information in the game. Even link it back to, you know, and it's no accident, some of the key qualities that the FA have introduced within the new UEFA-C framework around scanning and positioning and timing and movement and so forth. The qualities of developing a skillful player. So I think a good starting point for any coach is to first think about, well, what makes the game the game? Because to me, the game's built upon time, space and number variations. It's unpredictable, forever changing, complex and dynamic. So as a result of that, for me, that tells me that players have to make decisions based on time and space and number variations. And they have to think quicker than the speed of sight, the speed of thought. So as a result of that, they're searching for information and they're having to quickly act upon that. So then it's all right, well, what are our principles? And we can get into this as we talked about last week around our principles, the T game model and coaching principles. But I would say a first starting point is, well, how do we see the game being played? How does that influence how we coach? Because once you've got that value, Yaz, then I think our values are, okay, what are my values? I want players to be able to solve problems. I want to develop self-learners and adaptable thinkers. Well, if I'm looking for self-learners and adaptable thinkers... How does that influence and shape not only the practice design, but the coaching behavior and the environment and the interactions that we're going to create with the players, both on a match day and in practice? Because that has to be constructively aligned. Meaning that if we're, if we're saying, try this, try that, great work, well done, good dribble, do this, do that, fantastic, well done. And if they make a mistake, it's okay. What could you do differently? But then on a Sunday, we're saying, whoa, 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 not there, not in that area. Whoa, do this, do that. Well, then potentially it's confusing for the players. So it's, I think there's got to be that constructive alignment of how are we helping players to solve problems and figure stuff out? That's not to say you can't be direct. And we can talk about feedback as we go on, I guess. But that's my initial thought is what's your values as a coach? What do you value most? And then, obviously, we can talk about some of the other key considerations as we unpack that a little bit further. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Yeah, no, I think it's a good place to start. Um, you know, just obviously just highlighting, you know, the, the topic of the conversation around key considerations for a coaching philosophy. Or, um, but a couple of things that kind of just came up for me as you were speaking. You know, it's, it's the coach's journey and where they're at on it in terms of not just their own experiences, but in terms of qualifications, because obviously you talk there about, you know, predetermined patterns and, you know, triggers and whatnot, but how much of that is actually, is actually consciously conscious, or rather how much is that the coaches are consciously aware of in the sense that, and I think we've all been there, you know, when we first start on our coaching journeys, or if we haven't been exposed to certain, uh, certain, certain things in within, you know, through qualifications or whatnot, that, a lot of coaches early on, they're, they're not really watching the game. They're just watching watching the ball more than anything, right? So they're not, they're not able to then take a step back and identify what patterns might actually be existing around the ball and you know within the team and those triggers that you've talked about. So I think that's probably one of the key things that's kind of just really you know jumped out at me as you as you're, as you're talking there. And then obviously the considerations around that alignment of behaviours, right, from match day to. 
uh, from training to match day rather. And I think it's just the thing that jumped out for me was, well, really, I think it's more about managing expectations. Are the players aware of how, what, how you're going to coach and more specifically, why you're going to coach that way? Because I think that piece is really key, you know, so that they, they understand there is going to be times where you might actually veer away from that. But that can also be declared and actually agreed upon as part of the process in which you're going to coach the certain players that you're working with at that given moment. So, you know, when you are going from getting their views and getting their opinions and getting them to explore in training and all of a sudden on the match day, you shift that approach. It's not, it's not a case of, right, you can't do that, but actually how much information are you giving the players and what are you telling them around how that's going to shift for them and what to expect as a result of that change of behaviour? So that's where my mind's gone initially. But I guess, you know, from coming back to the conversation itself, the topic of the conversation, rather, you know, thinking about the coaching philosophy, key considerations, you know, where, where would you say coaching needs to start? Because obviously, or better yet, what are your thoughts on what I've just said as well? Yeah, I think your thoughts there, I mean, you've hit nail on the head because especially if we are talking about co-designing stuff and working with, with players, I've used this phrase a lot, how, how, off, how well can we not only inform, but actually inspire and involve the players. So different ways that we can inspire and involve, and that includes parents. So you've made a great point there, and maybe it'll come out later as we talk, uh, but actually having that conversation, that dialogue with parents and saying, right at the start of the season in your meeting, you're sort of explaining, here's how I coach. You know, I mean, I as an example, when we changed a couple of things with some uh, coaches around this year, we've, I mean, I've had a great day with our U10s today. And the coach is very different to the coach last year. Last year, he was probably, you know, he would obviously use a lot of trial and error, a lot of experimentation, a lot of setting players' challenges. He was good at that. But by his nature, he was probably seen as aggressive, even though he wasn't, although at times he could be. But he was a bit more maybe perhaps command-demand and had a certain style about him. And obviously, at times, it was quite difficult for players as well because he put a unnecessary pressure on them even though pressure coaching has a place and it's so important and, and at times he got it really right there are some players that it doesn't always work and actually we had that conversation at the start of the season to say hey here's how this coach is going to work and this is his coaching style because there'll be some parents that go oh I like that coach I don't like him I don't like coach I won't use his name because he's too quiet he's not coaching but he actually is coaching <laughs> because just because you're silent doesn't mean you're not coaching. They also might not be able to hear the little nuanced conversations that he's having one-on-one -on -one with players on the bench or quiet little reminders that he's doing. And there'll be times where he projects his voice when he needs to. But typically, he's a, he's a totally different style. And it was important for us to share that at the start of the season. Now, the philosophy in terms of how we want the players to play hadn't changed. But the approaches were very different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I think you've hit a nail on the head there. Because even there are parents who look at it and go, well, is this bad coaching? You know, because the coach before yelled a lot and he did this and he did that. Is that better? You know, and it's how does that align? I think to the other point you made uh, before we talk about this is where you are in your journey matters. You made a great point there. But I do believe, and I'm only reflecting on my own experiences, um, is you can learn a hell of a lot through the players. Because actually, there are times, and I've done this as a coach, learning your trade, if you like, when you're starting off your apprenticeship. But also, and you haven't obviously got a lot of the game knowledge and you're learning as you go along at the different levels. But I've also learned it 
um, where I've mentored coaches who are new to coaching, not just the ones who have come from the professional game and they've got those attributes, but ones that haven't and they've not even played a game at a good level or any level or even the sport, but they've ended up being outstanding teachers of the game, good role models. And we've got them to learn the game through the players just by the art of noticing. And that's part of the philosophy. So actually being a really good observer and recognising what is it you're looking for. So if it's okay, we've been working on how we build up our attack to play forward. Let's watch the players and see how well they do this. But you'll be learning by, you know, oh, look, he's had a heavy touch there. Or that actually, that strategy didn't work. Okay, why didn't it work? We had a lot of players around him. He could have released it earlier. Okay, because somebody else was free. Or what else? Okay, he's moved the ball and he's dribbling. He's beat that first player. What about the second player? Or actually, what if he takes his touch here for you? Just So you can actually learn by watching the players and seeing it through their experiences at times, which can develop your own sort of craft knowledge. Um, I would say a huge key consideration. I just wanted to answer those couple of points from you before. A huge one is just thinking about who's in front of us. So obviously we develop all these ideas as we go along, but we've got to really start with who is in front of us. What's their motivation and why they're here? Because that'll shape how we work with those players. And it's, it's not always necessarily just the what, it's more the how, how we're connecting with them. So the who and the how. I'm not saying the what isn't important, but how we deliver is really key. So thinking about who is in front of us and almost having a philosophy of, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Yaz, and everyone else in the room as well, because there's a lot more experience in the room listening. What's the role of that development of the individual within the collective? And actually, what does that look like? Because it can look very different at different environments, different contexts and ages and stages. But having an emphasis where I'm really thinking about individuals within my group and how I'm helping them get better individually to help the team get better as well as them get better. And I think that's got to be a, is that a part of your philosophy or not, right? Because as, as an example, I know me and you've worked in the academy game, worked at every different levels, but even if it's a grassroots level, it might be as really as simple as just knowing, have a conversation at the start of the season and find out with the players, get their input. What are your strengths? What do you think your strengths are? What are your goals for the season? What are your areas for development? How can you co-design that? Give them feedback on it and actually think, you know, if I know this kid's really, like, for example, today, I did something random. The coach has been putting this player in a, in a different position. Two, I'll give you two stories real quick. It links to coaching philosophy. One person, he put the player as a goalkeeper because he doesn't see him affecting the game outfield. And he's played in goal before, so he's kind of like pigeonholed the player in goal. And he hasn't seen him play at his best. So... The danger then becomes is that he's like, that's all he can play. But then it's bad because this is U10. And you're also saying a negative. You tell the player, you know, I don't rate you. Saying it to the parent without saying it. All kinds of problems. Um, and we had these two scenarios there that I had to mentor and manage. And we had another one where this kid who's quite stocky and looks to me like he's growing. He's going for a bit of a growth spur. But he's got some good physical attributes. Um, he's comfortable on the ball. Slow because he's growing, but he's also got some other qualities. He's quite good at regaining it and holding it up. Um, you know, he's typically been sort of hidden, if you like, in games. But I just thought, actually, why don't we try him in this position? And he's been played in, on the wing and or even at back. We put him as a striker today. He created a couple of the goals that we scored 
just through laying the ball off or early retention, running it back and then playing forward, which is fantastic. And the other guy who I mentioned, the goalkeeper, we put him at centre-back today and just all he needed was, you know, just thriving off praise, thinking about, again, who's in front of us. So at that age, egocentric, love praise, love enthusiasm, give them individual challenges. So then that's all I've done. And he was outstanding, Yaz. He's breaking lines, he's playing early passes forward and wide, finding the number nine. He had an outstanding game. And the mum was like, that is a completely different kid. Um, and the, for the coach as well, it was good to see, actually, see him in a different light, catch him doing things well. So what I'm trying to link with that, in terms of key considerations, we have to think about how are we creating experiences for the players? What experiences are we designing? So linking back to that individual piece is, can we create personalised experiences for our players? And obviously, the more experience we get, the better hopefully we'll get at that. Um, but I think that's really simple, just looking at what are they really good at? What can they bring to the game? And how can I sort of showcase their strengths a little bit and, and, and grow on that? And I think that'll help us in, in other areas. I've got another couple of thoughts, but I don't want to go too far with it. No, no, no. I think, I, I I think it's good. It. I think, um, you know, you talk there about the... Let's just start with the goalkeeping situation. That, you know, they're putting, putting the player in goal because it's... Um, I guess a lack of effectiveness out on pitch. This is a conversation I've had with coaches in the past, um, and it's like an ongoing thing where, okay, the player might not be effective, um, but really what you're doing is you're either capping or judging or limiting potential to some extent. So I guess the the question I often have for coaches is, well, when you're looking at this this player and you're and you're saying that right, well, they're, they're ineffective. Are they ineffective because that's just where they're at on their journey now? Or are you subconsciously saying they're ineffective because you're subconsciously, if you're like looking at it through the lens of what well, I don't think I can get them to become effective beyond what they're currently doing? Does that make sense? So I think it's just looking at that and saying, well, are we are we judging it through the eyes of where the player is actually at, or through the eyes of I don't think I've got what it takes as a coach to help this player get any better? And I think it's just a it's just a challenge for coaches just to think about when we are looking at players, how, how quick are we just to write them off? Um, when in in actual, sometimes it's just a case of well, we're we're not we're not equipped enough as individual coaches to help that player. And then I think that you know the the, the other piece I was off you know thinking about as you were talking there, you know, you talk about building building relationships essentially, and it's a challenge I've got I've had for players recently as well. You know, can I've actually asked this question to quite a few players recently? Is you know, can you share a time where you feel like you've you've received good coaching? Um, what does that look like? And you know, trying to help them to distinguish the the fundamental difference, in my opinion, between a coach and having a good relationship with a coach, and the, you know, the coach building on that, and and you know, enjoying playing for that coach, as opposed to or versus the idea that actually this coach has actually helped me get better because it's two fundamental differences, right? And I think this is another consideration that we need to kind of really take into account with this coaching philosophy piece. And I think often it's almost, well, if I'm a coach that, you know, builds a positive environment, some people think that that's enough. Well, no, it's good that you can build a positive environment. What are you doing to help the players get better? And I think that's where the coaching piece. So it's like, are you actually coaching, or are you just setting an environment? And is is that considered coaching as well? If you're actually, you know, if you're providing an environment, 
Well, I'm, I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that. I think you're spot on. I mean, as I'm thinking about it, it's it's such a tough bit because if we're really honest with ourselves, you know, when we started off coaching, I'm starting to think like when I first started off, there was times I was really good at putting on like activities, if you like, and enthusiasm and kids liked me, parents liked me. But I was lacking in that game management piece. And I remember some of the games, I just managing the game. This is very early on when I started coaching really young and knowing when to sub. And, and that even transition, I remember coaching at non-league level. And I was hesitant at first of like when to make the sub, when not to. And there's times I was going, oh, I want to I put this kid on. But I don't, well, it's men at that stage, men's football. But I was like, oh, I don't know. And that, that cost me until I got past that and just like, look, make a decision and go with it. And um, there's some players where I look back and obviously if you could go back in time now, you'd be better, right? Uh, Hopefully, you know, with hindsight, it's, I think in a lot of cases, we've got to be honest with ourselves and like, where are we weak in? What's our self-awareness of our strengths? And we can let people down a little bit, can't we? Because we're not giving them always the best information or the right information at the right time. And that's where I think as a, coaching philosophy if we're really talking about developing players we need to develop ourselves first we need to be a better version of ourselves first in order to develop better people so just being really good at reflecting in action we can reflect a lot on action and we should meaning after the game or after the practice we should spend time and you know ask people that should be part of your coaching philosophy getting feedback you just did one there yeah about Asking, you know, when you got the best coaching moments and stuff. Ask the players. There's so many times where I thought I've had a good session and I've asked the players and I found out this kid didn't enjoy it because he felt pigeonholed. He never got a chance to do whatever in the activity or finish or whatever. He was always in the back or whatever. You know, so it's it's understanding like what are the players wanting to get out of the practice? Like, do you really know that? Do you plan for that? Do you plan for how you're priming them to arrive? So as I've got older and older, a lot of the stuff I'm thinking about now is how do I get them to land really well to the session? Whether that's sharing the session plan beforehand, whether that's showing them what they're doing, having a whiteboard on the field and the session plan on the field so they can look at it. Even things like when they come, they write their own objectives. And as they're doing the little arrival activity or the warm-up or whatever, starter activities, they've already made a note. And I can have a little look over and go, oh, Yaz wants to get better at his first touch to beat a defender. That's interesting because I can see that in a game as well. Yeah, okay. That's part of his individual development plan, all right. And then you might think now, all right, well, how am I, how can I maybe adjust the activity or the rules or it might even not even be the rules or the time constraints. It could be as simple as setting him individual challenges that you're being a bit more intentional, purposeful as a coach in your teaching to help that player get better at how he how his first touch can allow him to play forward. Or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's I think that's where we've just got to be honest and reflect as well in action. Be really good at stepping back. So I'll I'll share a couple of tools that people can do now. I would say at every level, where I often start, irrespective of the license of the coach, the first thing I look for is organization when I'm watching a practice. Because if it's not organized in a certain structure way, it's very difficult to talk about it being game-like and challenging and, and being effective in your coaching. So, and, uh, and then looking at the repetitions that people are getting, the meaningful repetitions. So I think, 
you know, whatever you put on as a session or even as a game match day, just taking that little step back and going, are we organised? Are we? Do I need to adjust anything here? Because once that's right, then you can start to go into the, all right, does it look game-like? Does it look like how we want to build? Okay, yeah. Are they getting enough repetitions of these experiences? You know, okay, how can I make it more challenging or less challenging depending on the group? How can I affect them in the coaching? And you work in that logical order. So they're sort of considerations for me because that links back to, if we're thinking about coaching philosophy, what are the, 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 the big rocks? Well, right at the start, I talked about the game, didn't I? I talked about, for me, the game's built up on these habits and triggers and players having to make decisions on time, space and numbers. Well, I think if we accept that, then we've got to think about, well, what choices are we giving the players? What problems are we giving them to solve? And there's probably certain constants, and you'll see this in the webinar for the guys that that join when we talk about a framework and a model for coaching. One thing that exists all the time is there's a ball in everything. Direction, because the game's directional. There's, a pre- there's some kind of interference or pressure or threat on the ball of some kind in the real game. And as a result of that, there's consequences. So how can your philosophy incorporate those sort of elements, if you like, those, those areas? Or, or does it not? You know, and this is where I think we've got to get into those nitty-gritty details as a discussion and you know, open it up if anyone's got any thoughts they want to share. Because for me, I think it's... If we're thinking about a coaching philosophy in the simplest way, we've got to think about what are our football concepts? How do we want the game to be played? How do we view the game in terms of our principles of play? When we've got the ball and we haven't got the ball, then the individual actions that players are doing, so like searching for the ball, exploiting space and so forth, then you've got to think about, well, how does that look from a pedagogical standpoint, like a teaching standpoint and a paradigm, a theoretical framework? What is our theoretical framework? And the framework for me, I've talked about this on previous sessions where I've talked about, you know, four C's, choices, competition, clarity and challenges. And the reason why is because the game's built up on decisions. So if we're giving them choices, we're giving them problems to solve, decisions to make. So then you can easily look back at the organisation and go, okay, is the organisation the activity now or in the game, is this giving them the choices that I want them to see? So from a practice standpoint, it might be if it's a drill and they're just playing the drill for the sake of the drill, they're not having to look for information and they've got, they're not getting tested with different scenarios or consequences. How is that affecting the choices they have to make? Is that transferable to a real game? So that's why I go, okay, what's the choices? Then you can start to think about the the competition because that defines the game. How can you make it fun and competitive? How do you ensure there's a clear method of scoring? You know, so it relates to the game. Challenges, whether that be individual or team. And then finally, the clarity piece is huge because I think we have to make a connection. We deserve they are they deserve it. We have to make a connection with the players around the why, because if we're able to sh- explain to them the why and get them to understand the why that'll help them. So it's not just saying, hey, do this to do that. It's, okay, What? why do you think you're over there now? How? How is that helping you be able to play forward? Or what can you see now? And So you're involving the players so that they understand what the relevance is to them. And in a match day, it'd be similar. You know, if, if you're thinking, well, this player needs to get better at his duels in this scenario, all right, well, what positions are you putting them in to face some of those 
situations. You know, we had it with our 11 aside team. I'm watching them now. And we've got a player who's, uh, we know the team who we're playing against, how they play. They're very, very quick in wide spaces. They'll typically run into the wide channels very quickly. Um, and he struggles at defending in wide areas. So that's a fantastic matchup there for him today. Do you know what I mean? So as much as, yeah, we want to win, we've also got to put players, if that's part of your coaching philosophy, we've got to put players in positions where they can be comfortably challenged outside the comfort zone and, and sometimes fail, but they've got to learn to deal with it. You know, how's he going to deal with this quick forward today? It's going to run into those wide spaces. He's got to be able to defend that, you know? So it's little things like that, Yaz, that I think, how does that align? Yeah, I think um, there's a few different thoughts that have kind of popped up in my head as you're speaking. I think one of them is we've got, and you use the phrase, we've got to look at the players in front of us. You know, fundamentally, who are we coaching? What what age and stage? At what level of the game are we working at? What's the environment? Because obviously, some of those things will have a direct, you know, direct influence on our coaching, our approach to how we're going to coach in that environment. If it is, and it's, it's, I think it's quite an interesting because obviously, if it is a more quote unquote development focused environment, then how does that influence your coaching philosophy? You know, do you stick to certain principles? You know, you talked there about having the four season. You kind of use that as a framework to deliver your coaching from. But actually, some people do believe in uh, slightly different approaches, right? Some people do believe in that. That in the whole, if you go back to the traditional technique, skill, game kind of approach, and you kind of start off the unopposed and really drill drill down on technique. But again. The, the the phrase that you know I've, I've I've been using and I've quite I quite like you've been using in recent weeks is my technique is in response to your technique so if I'm not if I'm not able to read and assess and uh, digest the information of something else that has got a technique to it how can I respond effectively with with a response um got got your hand up there go for it no I don't, I don't want to interrupt you mid floor just you said something there and it's bang on around you know beliefs and that is part of it. This is exactly what we want to talk about, key considerations. Because a lot of it comes back to how, how you've been brought up, right? So you don't know what you don't know. And some people are unconsciously incompetent in some cases, right? Or maybe even consciously incompetent, who knows? But you, if, you've, if you've been taught to, you know, that's how it was when I played, so that's how it is, and, or whatever. Those are the experiences I had. So if it worked for me, it must work for them. There's a lot of that traditionalist type approaches and... and cultural influences that often shape our intentions and that's why I think as coaches we've got to be open-minded and go well why why are we doing that you know um because the models that you talked about there that'd be classed as like a some people have defined it as like a progressive model start less challenging unopposed or whatever and get to more challenging and on other situations you know like you with US soccer we talk about um progressive and regressive in different ways normally you know, to me, when I first heard those terms, I thought it meant like deprogression and, and progression as in like make it more challenging, less challenging. But they often talk about actually progressive and regressive as in like the session structure as part of the coaching philosophy. So over here, some coaches will start small and go big, meaning small numbers at the start to finish on a bigger scrimmage, bigger numbers towards the end. Others actually start with the big game first and bigger numbers and work smaller and actually finish smaller numbers at the end. And then you've got mixes. So there's different approaches to how you can structure your session. And it's not to say that one's right and one's wrong. But I think what we have to address is why do you think that way? Don't just do it for the sake of because that's what I'm doing. 
do you have a very good wife? I was to challenge you or yours was to challenge you or Tony was to challenge me or Paul or whoever and ask you, yeah, but why? Have you got a better answer, you know, to really explain you why? Because you have to think about these things and understand what the trade-offs are. So we might go down that approach, any of these approaches, but then we're sacrificing somewhere along the line. Sorry, guys, that was just a quick thought I had. Yeah, no, just I think it's just on that. It's really important. You know, you talked about it, whatever approach it is, whether it is that progressive approach that we initially kind of referred to, whether it's it doesn't even what it is. I think the question that coaches need to also put, consider as part of this is, well, how do we know it's working? How do we actually know it's working? And, and the reason why I, I asked that question in particular is because if we go down that you know that progressive approach, like you mentioned. That tech, you know, and I, and I refer to it as a, kind of that traditional technique, skill, game kind of approach, where it's unopposed and you gradually build up the challenge or whatnot. Well, I'm not sure about your experience, but I know from from first hand speaking to coaches about this type of thing is, well, it's just a progression. It, it allows them to see is a metric there for them to measure that actually the players are getting you know, quote unquote, better at doing something. Well, it's actually well, no, because fundamentally like you like, like 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 i said in it if there's, if there's no technique for me to respond to then what then how do i know i'm selecting the right technique to approach it with does that make sense so i think it's, it's, it's how do we measure i think so it's, it, within the coaching philosophy the considerations what how are we measuring that this is actually working what's working and, and and have we only got one measurement that we're taking or and i you know it's difficult to really say what the measurement actually is without going down the route of setting targets and having key outcomes that we're going after um are we measuring outcome versus actually uh, effort, intention, and performance? Um, performance des- desirable performance indicators, if that makes sense. And I think that's, I think this is really key because some players will be able to recognize situations to, to make the right decision, but actually the execution is what lets them down. And then you and then you know, I don't want it to get. <sighs> what's the word I don't, I don't want people to start thinking oh but well, then we need to take them back to the technique well no actually because the decision was let down not because of the technique but the technique in the moment of the of it being a response to something else that they've seen i.e uh they've tried to make a forward pass but as actually as they made the forward pass the timing of the player who was actually coming across the screen or maybe intercept the pass they were just a bit too shy on that um go on, you got your hand up go for it So this is it, and this comes back to what is the philosophy? Because I've heard some coaches where they've always gone, oh, you know, game-like, game-based, all this, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then they're, con- they're a contradiction in terms. Because the same coaches that go game, game, game. Because ultimately, what the players will say is, over here in the US, it's when can we scrimmage? In the UK, hey, when are we playing a match, coach? When are we playing? Uh, you know what I mean? And it's... how c- The problem is, is that it's very easy for coaches, well, it's not easy, but I'm, I'm going to use that phrase, to isolate and focus mechanics of a skill because they'll try and break down the mechanics and the actions of a technique um, this, and, and try and shape this ideal technique, this perfect way of striking the ball or moving the ball, manipulating the ball, the movement, the timing, whatever, with the viewpoint that we can decontextualize it and break it down into its small parts and put it back together again at the end. But the challenge becomes is, well, how does that relate to the game? And and how often does that occur? And for the players, it's being able to, as you, just as you said, like even understanding, seeing it. 
there's that famous quote from Arsene Wenger where he says, we have, this, we have the problem the wrong way around. We focus on execution first and perception last. And we need to flip that. We need to actually put them in situations where they have to perceive first and skillfully adapt. So they refine their, their, their technique, their decisions by being put in, in situations where they have to use their body and come up with different ways to manipulate the ball. Now, there are so many ways we can design activities, whether it's high contextual interference, low contextual interference. There's so many ways where we can make it high, low challenging, high tempo, low tempo, small numbered, big numbers, medium numbers, different constraints, different challenges, different rules, safe zones. There's so many ways that we can be clever and not overcomplicate and reinvent the wheel, but actually just be clever with the players that puts them in these game-like experiences where they'll actually surprise us and and they'll get more out of it. And I think that relates a lot because if your belief is more, well, no, you have to work on this and you have to get the technique right to then go to the bigger picture, well, that's going to shape a lot of your coaching philosophy and how you coach. And this is what we're talking about. you know. And my stance on it would be, well, actually... We can design personalised game-like experiences where players have to solve problems. They have to manipulate the ball and space and time and they'll figure stuff out and they'll be given challenges and they'll get meaningful repetitions. But it's not in isolation or, or, or take away from the game, but it looks as close to the game as possible. And they'll play. So then how much of your activities are game-like, game form or modified game form activities? And, and I think that's where, you know, it, it's interesting, Yaz. I mean, just last quick point, and I'd love to get, you know, Paul, Tony, Paul got a lot of experience. It'd be great to hear what you're doing at, at Crystal Palace. And we spoke a lot before and, you know, David and anyone else, Gemma, any, anyone in the room, you know, great to open this up to, to people. One thing I, I would talk about is whatever, whatever your philosophy is, that's going to obviously shape how you work. And I think... For me, the, the structures that I've typically gone down more recently has been a lot of play, practice, play, principle-based work, small-sided games, arrival activities. You know, with, with sporting, um, we've done a lot where one of our sessions, well, our session structure in the club is very simple. We start off with arrival starter activities, meaning as soon as they arrive, they're immediately playing. They're already playing a game. Of some kind, it could be one v ones, two v two, three v threes, mini pitches. It could be ends. It could be anything. But they're in some activity straight off the bat. So straight away, they can't wait to get out the car and to the practice. From that, we go into what we call our traits and fundamentals, meaning that there are certain things that you know we we desire that are our good habits: making contact, non-negotiables, the, the you know passing, their ability to secure the pass, build the attack. First touch, elimination, your, your possession habits, everything, how we are, you know, with interference or or pressure, that ball mastery, all that stuff. We will work on that, but we'll do it in positional possession games. We'll do it in small-sided games. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Games will do it in lots of different things. Even sometimes it's unopposed, but it's interference. There's chaos going on or a wave practice. And then from that, we progress into directional conditioned games. So what I mean by that, Yaz, is that the, the, the conditioned games where there's a tactical or physical or both focus, it's directional because the game's directional. And there's clear shapes and positions so it's not a general practice or a generic. It's a quite a specific practice. And that'll lead us into our... We'll either stay within that or go into like more of a tactical condition game. But we have a phrase that we use a lot in the club. I'd love to get your thoughts on it, which is called protected time. Player protected time. And I actually took this concept from Southampton because they have a phrase under Matt Croker and he's, he's introduced it more over here, is that he talks about what's the... How can we ensure that we're giving the players enough time within the practice to be able to play within the game and in the game form and see it in reality? So what we do is we talk a lot about protected time where we guarantee within the session, we're guaranteeing the players X number of minutes regardless so that they're going to play in those types of games. So in theory, what they're basically doing is they're constantly playing throughout the session, but there are moments where they're in real game situations 
for you know we practice for 90 minutes everything's game like anyway but they're in real tactical games position specific probably for about 40 or more minutes of that guaranteed and what that looks like in different formats so that's part of our philosophy just because we want to we want to create what we call situational learning so there's, they're experiencing what they're likely to see on a game and it relates to how we want to play, like our principles of breaking lines and things like that. But again, it's interesting, Yaz, because I want to go back to the point where you made, which is really powerful as we link it to everything, is and then we open up for Dave and a few other speakers. You said the nail on the head. What, what is your belief, though? Like, what is your belief as a coach? Because if your belief is, ah, well, I'm going to do the technique stuff first, I'm going to do... Well, that's going to influence your session design structure. But, how, but by doing that, how much time at the end are they actually getting to implement it? Because I've watched these sessions for years and you'll be lucky if you get some coaches, even with the best time management in the world, you might have 10, 15, 20 minutes at the end and they're in a game. But by the time they're playing and they got started, you explain the rules, how much actual time are those kids getting on the ball? You know, and that's for me is where it's a little bit, it's a little bit thingy because the, the argument of this technique skill and all this you know, I'm sure people say there's a place for everything, but the challenge is, is that, well, actually, you know, the players come there to play. That's the bottom line. The, the game belongs to the players. So we have to create an environment for that. Sorry, as I know you've got your hand up and we also want to remind everyone about the CPD as well, the tasks, the reflection. Yeah, so there's, a, there's, there's quite a few things you've touched on there. I'm going to start at the top. Um, around that beliefs piece, right? You can have your beliefs, but I think um, it's just as important to actually challenge those. And, and, and sometimes you've got to accept a fact which actually, which actually goes against our beliefs. So as an example of that, and, and, and what brought it to mind was you're talking there about the game being directional. Well, that's a fact. So, you know, having a belief that multi-directional practices can be beneficial, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's categorically not beneficial, I always go back to the idea of what well, I want to be as efficient as I can be with my delivery, efficient as I can be within the practices that I set for the players. So how much of it is game-like? How much of it is pictures or triggers and cues that they would see in a game as if it was a game? Um, and it doesn't have to be done in a game-based session specifically. So it doesn't have to be actual games, if or you know, i.e. 3v3s, 4v4s, or whatever else that you might want to go with. It's just how do you recreate the pictures that they're likely to see, but co accompanied by the what ifs. So as an example of that, right, this is what we expect to do. This is this is the outcome that we're going after. This is how we want it to look. But actually, how much flexibility is left within the practice itself for, for something else to occur as well. Hence, it takes me back to that saying, right, my technique is in response to your technique. Because if there isn't a multiple, multiple amount of techniques that can be demonstrated and exhibited within the practice, well, how do I ever know when I need to switch, switch it up? Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of the first thought that came to mind. The second thought was that how well are we agreeing outcomes with players? And I always, and I always go back to this example, right? Um, I use a finishing practice as an example. And, and let's take Erling Haaland. If Erling Haaland bags 50 goals this season and all of them are scored with his left knee, I don't think Pep Guardiola gives a toss, right? Pep Guardiola doesn't care how they go in. Erling Haaland would not care how they go in, but the outcome has been set. You need to score X amount of goals. Now, I think if we're able to provide the players with an environment where they can see these different pictures, see these different out, out, um, 
techniques being presented to them that they can then respond to. Well, if that's the most efficient and effective way to deal with it in that moment, then yeah, go for it. Use your left knee, get the goal. Because that's all that matters in that moment, right? And I think that's what we need to start doing in terms of challenging coaches to think, right, well, let's move away from this ideal technique piece and let's agree on the outcome that we're trying to achieve, not the process in which the outcome should necessarily be achieved. And let's not ignore the facts. It's directional. So why are we making it multi multiple directional? And it just then takes my thoughts to, to another another piece which I've spoken about before, I can't remember which which space, but definitely spoken about in the past, is that challenging coaches believe that just because you are doing something which involves passing and receiving does not mean you are working on passing and receiving. Because if it doesn't look like that, if it's not directional, as it may would may well be in a game, then you're probably not doing it in context of the game. In fact, you're very unlikely to be doing it in context of the game because if it's not multi-directional. Now, there's probably going to be people thinking thinking otherwise on that, and that, that's fine, but we can have whatever beliefs we want. But I think collectively, we have to accept some of the facts of the game. Um, and then it, it then kind of takes me back to something that I've obviously floated about, and I think you've, you've kind of really taken a liking to, which is, well, whether it's a 1v1 practice, whether it's a 2v2, 3v3, whatever the practice is, how about we just set a task in the form of a question to the players? The theme, the theme, the session in the form of a question. So if it's a one v one situation, and we want to focus it on it being in the wide areas, an example, right? The session could be titled, right? How to create a crossing opportunity in a wide area, and let them explore that. The outcome has been set, and all we have to do is work with them to explore it, examine it, reflect on it. And I want to kind of take that back to something you said earlier as well about reflection. I think there's so many coaches that do reflect, but one of the biggest things I see, well, it's all well and good reflecting, but what are you doing with the information that you then reflect on? How long and how how efficiently are you then going to step in and act on that reflection? How efficient are you actually at reflecting and then coming up with a solution to kind of um, remedy what you've identified, if you like? And then I guess the final thing I was just going to add there is that whether it is a 1v1 session or a group-based session or whatever numbers you've got, we have to recognise that the players need to understand there is different moments in the game, right? So how often are we going to give them exposure to these different moments in the game? So if we go, I'll use, a th I don't know, like a 3v3 as an example. 3v3s, they talk about 1v1s existing all over the pitch, but so do 2v2s, so do 3v3s, and so do everything else, right? So, so how well are you... Um, preparing and designing your practices to marry up with that so if, as an example it could be a 3v3 situation which means um, you've got a center back you've got your full back and then you've got your what you've got your wide player okay brilliant so if those are the three players involved in that 3v3 well who are the opposite three so now you change the dimensions and the area size and maybe the shape that you're using but actually fundamentally what we're still going after well what would the outcome be for the 3v3 if those were the players involved and you have to then go back to the game principles, right? You're, you know, the fundamental thing is we're trying to get the ball forward and we're trying to score. And if we're not trying to do that as a priority, doesn't mean it has to be at all costs. But as a priority, if we're not trying to move that ball forward, then it doesn't matter what you coach, in my opinion, because the players are just not going to act naturally in line with what the game is asking them to do. 
So I think it's getting them to understand that whatever the number of players is, whatever the situation is, what are the principles that we're going after? So it leads me back into the piece around the outcomes. What are we going after as an outcome? So just a few thoughts. I don't know what your thoughts are. No, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, Yaz, because I think the principles, that's the key. Whatever we're working on, how we frame it as a question. And if you design it right, they will be developing other things. If you're working well on the attacking and you've designed it right to include the moments of the game, the defenders are getting better because they're getting asked that question. So it's a counter principle and everyone else is getting better at working on other things. So even though you're working on, you use an example of passing, receiving, it could be anything. It could be playing forward. It could be 1v1. To drip, or could be anything, a player action or principle. You're always working other things if you if you design it right. I have this argument all the time with some of the coaches in the club. Well, oh, we don't often work enough on finishing. I'm saying actually though, you are. Because if you look at the practices we're designing, whether we're attacking the big goal or attacking these little counter goals, they're still getting opportunities where they're passing and uh, finishing to a net and they're working on their attacks in, in areas. And we might not be talking about finishing the attack we might be spending most of our attention on how we build the attack or dominate the attack or protect the goal but by working on even that like protecting the goal the other team have to create problems for our team to solve so I think that point you said there is great and it just you know as we open up to David now just have a think without you know dumping loads into it we don't overload people but think back to why do you do what you do because if if you've got that belief of I'm going to isolate these techniques and develop it that's your philosophy well the reason why i use that phrase before it's easy to do that even though it's not people often might be drawn to that because they can see it a lot of coaches can see it so they'll isolate the little techniques because they'll go ah you know and then they'll stop it and they'll coach the hell out of these kids it's harder because in a game it's harder to see those actions the player actions and the principles why because it's 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 a bit faster People are moving. There's a lot of things to see. So as a coach, that's why some coaches aren't always drawn to putting them in games because they can't see the mistakes that they want to correct. Well, then we need to get better as coaches at training our eye. We don't have to see everything. You try and look for everything, you see nothing. Actually, it should be how can I be intentional around my observation to really look out for what is it I want to see now and that will tailor our feedback to be really, really specific. So that's just my last point as, I, as we hand over to David. Sorry, as I see your hand up as well. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that. I think, I think you're spot on in that. You've, we've got to give them that opportunity to examine the game, right? And I think where you mentioned there about coaches not being able to observe the game because it's quick. Well, if it's if it's quick for the, for the coaches and it's on the sidelines, how do you think it is for the players? Therefore, we've got to give them more opportunities to experience that so they can kind of unpack it themselves. Um, but no, David, good evening, mate. How are you? Good evening, mate. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Can you hear me all right? All good. All good. Yeah, lovely. Thank you for having me on. Cheers, James. Um, yeah, good good show. Really enjoying it. Um, I just thought I'd touch on, like, the coaching philosophy thing, like, to throw it out there. Like, for me, especially through my journey, like, the players that I've worked with, I've, I found the philosophy that I've had has just been an ever-changing blueprint. I know like quite a lot of tonight's subject, we've got really into sort of session ideas and how we put our philosophy across. But I mean, it's important to remember that, you know, your coaching philosophy, if you're working with under eights, is probably going to be very different to what it might look like if that team gets to under 16s and through that journey. So are we, are we totally prepared as coaches to allow our philosophy to be 
ever-changing, ever-flexible. I just thought I'd throw that out there for your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think just uh, what I'd say is go back to what Gerard said about, you know, why are we doing what we're doing? I think just as important as that is knowing why you're doing what you're doing. But I think getting coaches to actively challenge that and actually look for flaws in the reasons why they're doing it. Because it's only going to, you know, it's only going to either reaffirm or confirm and... um, why they're doing it with with more clarity and more belief or is actually going to open up a chink in the, a chink in the whole philosophy and say actually do you know what maybe there's another way um those are my thoughts i'm not sure about yourself gerard no i agree i agree david just for context what where where you i see your first thing how's it going what level you're working with and your players Absolutely. So first team coach at the currently I'm now at Chesson Ladies. Um, so, you know, that I'm, I'm very new there. So I'm still really getting to know the players. But like through youth level, I've, I've taken a team from, you know, under eights right through to under 18s. And, you know, I've worked with a fairly decent amateur level men's team for a few years. So it's it, so obviously my philosophy changes with with the playing group that I'm working with. But my, my best way to sort of link it through youth journey being the longest one is I look back at like the philosophy I had you know when they were 9, 10, 11 you know it's nowhere near what you know what it looks like now I, and the fundamentals are still the same in the way that I want them to play the game and the practices that we um, you know we put on for them is hoping to develop them to just to be the best decision makers they can be but philosophy wise and you know how I see the game played has definitely changed over that uh, over that period What's been the biggest changes for you, do you think, that you've seen, that you've noticed? Uh, I think, you know, just like maybe, you know, as they've got older, you know, a much more patient approach to the game. So, you know, my philosophy being, and and also as well, where my coaching journey uh, has obviously improved and the knowledge that I've gained, you know, that, you know, we can't look to play forward all the time. Where I think maybe back in the younger age groups, it was, you know, get it forward quick, 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 quick. You know, fast pace. But actually, now we're older. We're looking to open teams up. You know, we don't we don't have to force the game every time. And I, I think my philosophy's changed to be a lot more flexible in that department. You know, that's brilliant. That's really good to hear. And the reason why I ask is because you know it's it's interesting to see the the changes that we're noticing right with the game. I think back to when I started. I did my level one. And I always remember those crazy games. If anyone on the course remembers the old level one, right? When it was, um, you know, hot potato was one of the sessions. And even as a 18-year-old or whatever I was at the time when I, when I did the course, I remember thinking, like, this is a bit bonkers. We're literally teaching the kids to get rid of the bloody ball, you know? <laughs> and then we had other activities where it was, you know, stuck in the mud and the kids are getting it and then they smash it out of play and they kick it. Oh, yeah, kids love it. Great fun. Well, it's no surprise when you listen to some of the, the crazy stuff that happened back in the day, you know, like when my dad was coaching, it'd be, if in doubt, kick it out and all that nonsense. And it makes me laugh. I mean, I'm sure there's a place there, but I'm tongue-in-cheek. The reason why I use this example is because the, we're heavily influenced by the game now. These kids are playing Pro Evo, FIFA more than ever before. They're watching games more than ever before. I'm around kids here in the US and it was the same in Morocco, it was the same in England, where they are watching a lot of the game, you know, and obviously the ones that aren't, you encourage them and you tell them, use names, oh, like, this is like De Bruyne when he gets the ball here or, or whoever, and 
they go, oh, who is that? Go and look it up. And it inspires them to, to look up on YouTube, you know, with the dad. It's another way of inspiring them. And I think because they've got access to the games now, because they're watching it more, they're playing, we're influenced a lot by how some of the teams at level are playing such a fantastic possession approach, effective. It's it's changed how we grew up, right? And the kids now, and we're realising actually these kids are probably capable more of what we give them credit for. They can do a lot more than, you know, we realise. Going back to philosophy, first thing I, I try and do is I always try and give ownership to the players where can you set up the activity or can you manage the area? Sometimes I'll say, hey, are you happy with the area size? What would you do differently? Oh, I might make it wider. Okay, well, all right, let's have a look. And then I won't correct them. I won't change the cone because then otherwise I'm, I'm really telling them I don't trust them. No, let them do it. Or I'll say to them, hey, how can we make this more challenging? What can we do for this team? Oh, well, maybe the number of passes equals the number of goals, but you can only do it in their half. Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. You know, or I was doing a game the other day and the player was like, yeah, we shouldn't let the outside players pass count. So then that makes it harder. So if they do use that neutral on the outside, that pass doesn't count to the build. Okay, good. Now you're involving the players more. And and when I think about, you know, some of the comments I made before about the practice design, where you'd have stuck in the mud and the kids boot out of play and all these other things, I'm very much on how does the activity that we design reinforce the behaviours that we want to see in how we want to play? So I've designed activities where, for example, players are in the middle, chaos is dribbling and passing, defenders hold a bib in the hand. If the defenders win the ball, they instantly drop the bib and they run off because they've just won. they're not kicking the ball away, they're not toe-poking it away, they're trying to get hold of the ball and regain it. Use contact, make contact, get it and keep it. Once they keep it, that other kid has to immediately pick up the, ball, uh, the bib and run after that player and go get it back. Because he's likely, like in a game, he's probably the closest player to go and affect it. And if he doesn't win that one, he'll win somebody else or run off somewhere else. But just as a simple activity, what that's teaching him is, hey, go win the ball back. Apply quick pressure. Deal with 1v1 scenarios. The ability to stay on the ball. If you're under pressure, how do you find a creative solution? If you lose it, go win it back. If you win it, don't just kick out of play. Can we play forward? Can we keep it? Can we run with it? So the reason why I use those tongue-in-cheek examples before, and that's why I'm interested in hearing from you, Dave, is, is do the activities that we design, is that how you want them to play on a match day at every level? I watched the session the other day and the midfielders were constantly receiving in front of pressure and it was easy for the opposition to win the ball. And I just made a suggestion to the coach. I said, hey, what if we tell Henry and Harvey to just stay behind? Let's give them a challenge. Play between, stay between to receive basically in between lines of receiving behind the, the midfield press. How does that affect them? Let's have a look. Because we want them to try these things in a match day and luckily they did it and they got success. So it's, I think when we're designing, if this relates back to your philosophy, how can it relate back to how we want to play? If we're designing activities where we're encouraging bad behaviours or bad habits, we should probably think about that. You know, one more example of overloading is if we design activities where it encourages a lot of square balls because of the nature of the activity with maybe it's a rectangle, maybe it's a possession game with wide neutral players or maybe it's whatever. If there's a certain design organization piece, it comes back to, but again, in a match day, square balls getting accepted. So how can you influence that to make sure that we're not teaching the kids bad habits? So these are just little things that, you know, I've picked up over time. Hopefully, you know, it'd be great to get people's thoughts on. 
No, thanks, David. And again, there's a lot of experience in the room. Um, you know, if anyone else wants to join in, share what they do really well, please feel free because we've got some fantastic coaches working at a lot of good levels all over the world from, you know, US, Canada, England and so forth. And, you know, it'd be great to hear your thoughts, men and women's game as well. And if from your end, Jazz, unless somebody else jumps in. I think for, uh, for me, Joe, I'll just finish off by saying this, um, just for something the coaches to think about on, on the back of everything that's been discussed in this chat. The key thing is knowing why you're doing what you're doing. And for me, actively looking for flaws in your processes. If you can do that, then you're always going to be on to a winner because you're always looking for ways to find a new solution, a new, or even encounter problems that you can deal with potentially within your own within your own processes. So I think it's it's a, it's a good start on that one. Um, and just a side note, Gerald, it's not called FIFA anymore; it's called EAFC. <laughs> I love it. Cheers, mate. <laughs> But no, I think unless anyone else is um anyone else wants to jump in and you know feel free to raise your hands if you can share with us um that will probably be it for tonight. I think Gerald, if you just I don't know signpost everyone to on how you can complete the CPD task and some of the upcoming stuff that we've got going on. Yeah, I'll, I'll share that with everyone. And again, if anyone wants to just share something or even if you have a question, please feel free. Um, equally, if even if not during this point, you know if, if you've taken a lot of notes and. You know, you want to ask a question in the chat afterwards. You don't agree with something or you do or share ideas, get some feedback. You know, we've got a fantastic coaching community here, um, especially everyone who's listening in now and a lot of really good people. And that's what we're passionate about. We want to create a community where it just leads more and more questions. So feel free to reach out to any of us or myself and Yaz. Let's keep the conversation going and we can bounce ideas off each other. Um, for CPD, I'm going to share a, a link in the chat after this podcast has closed uh, the space um, where it's a self-reflection form. This is part of a CPD series that's in partnership with Middlesex FA. So once you've completed the reflection where it's, hey, what are your takeaways or things that are maybe swirling around or um, things that you're really clear about, it can be anything. Quick, quick little comments. You put your name, your fan number and your email. And then once you've put that, you're actually eligible. Once you've listened to the part of the, the space, you're eligible for one hour CPD. And they will get added later on. They don't get added straight away. This is part of a whole month series that we're working on, which links into our webinar, which will be towards the end of the month. Uh, more information to follow. And um, that will be on developing a coaching model. And that's a two-hour FA accredited CPD webinar which builds on the back of our previous webinars uh, where we've talked about developing decision makers, uh, developing a game model, individualised coaching and so forth. So really looking forward to, to sharing that with everyone. Most definitely. So guys, just please make sure you're following us, both myself and Gerard. And I've just added a comment in the in the chat as well. Um, just recently released a new show in partnership with St. Mary's University. Um, where you can just access 20, 25-minute coaching conversations where we just, uh, between myself and a colleague, we're just discussing all things coaching. So feel free to check that out. You know, between myself, Gerard, and our, and our networks, we're just looking to provide as much content as possible. And I think just to echo what you said at the top, 
just really grown his coaching community. I think it's great to see so many new faces, so many um, familiar faces that have been to loads of our spaces in the past. And this just started out as a bit of a, yeah, just a bit of a, a bit of fun really. And now it's grown into something where we've got an, an ongoing community. So thank you for everyone that's been supporting us so far. And um, Brian, you got your your hand up there. Go for it, man. You there, Brian? Oh, sorry, guys. My mic was off. Um, how's everyone doing? All good? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm all good, man. Um, yeah, I've just been listening a lot and um, taking notes here and there. But I just had one question um, around um, the statement that was made about how do you know your coaching philosophy is working and what like measurements you have in place. Um, I wanted to just get a bit more detail on what you guys have done or used um, to kind of measure that. Um, just speaking for myself and past experiences, um, well, I work in the academy and the foundation phase, and sometimes I would just like um, maybe just like old school tally chart of certain outcomes that are not score related, but so you might be working on a particular theme, if that makes sense. So that's how I might focus it when I'm with in the academy because I have to abide by their philosophy. However, when I'm working in a, a non-league environment at the moment. Um, I think I've just kind of wanted to get more clarity. How would you guys use to decide, bar the result, that, you know, okay, we're using, you know, our principles to a, to the best effect, basically, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, Joe, let me start off with this one. And if you've got anything you want to add, then feel free. Um, Brian, I think it's a brilliant question, to be honest. I think for me, um, one of the biggest things, if we're talking about coaching philosophy in particular, like, it's clarity of communication. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's so deep, right? And I think, you know, I was just watching a coach just recently, um, a couple of days ago, in a match day, match day setting. And the number of times where I heard the phrase, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So I think part of it, like I said, it's not all down to execution and outcome all the time. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's understanding, right? So I think yeah. the play, for me, measurement of success in some ways is, well, do they understand the messages? Are the messages landing appropriately? Right, brilliant. So it's, it's got to be some, you know, checking for understanding and actually clarity on, clarity on that communication and that checking for understanding too. Um, and then for me building on that, it's okay. Now we, now exploring a conversation with the players to, well, how might you demonstrate that? What might be some of the challenges um, within the demonstration, the execution of that? So I think it's just really, for me, it's just perception checking and awareness around their understanding of the situation, the problem that they're facing potentially. Um, or the challenges that I put in front of them and how well they can actually maybe examine and identify them themselves. Sounds a bit long-winded, but fundamentally that, that will be, for me, the first kind of point of call in terms of measuring whether my my approach is, if you like, or what I'm trying to get across to the players is actually get, is actually landing. Then obviously by by that age, as time goes on, I think you get to a point where you, you will start to see them maybe exhibiting it and actually executing on it. Um and then kind of just to build on that, and I think this is a key piece, and we've talked about this in the previous webinar that me and Gerard have run around effective feedback. And actually, when you've seen what you're looking for, make sure you praise it, but be specific about the praise. So, i.e., it might be, Brian, I love the way that you made that that pass there. You know, I could see that the way you opened your body allowed you to see the pass straight away, and the fact that you did put your head up and make that pass straight away allowed Gerard to get on the end of it nice and early. So really just package the whole picture for them. Because, um, again, what gets re- rewarded gets repeated. And I think that, that that's where I would go with it anyway. 
Um, Gerard, I'm not sure what your thoughts are. You there, G? But um, if Gerard's not on right now, but oh no, um, you go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Okay. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you now. Go for it. Sorry, I'm on the other phone. Um, no, I mean I was, I was just thinking there, just a, nothing really new, just more check for understanding for sure. I think really it's not observing and making note of what players are progressing in. How well do we track it? Whether it's tracking in the session or tracking on a match day, and. You know, I see so many coaches, I think it's lazy in a lot of respects, where they're not, they don't have a notepad. And that's just me. But I have my own, that's a, more of a preference thing. But I like, I've always got my notepad to me. Always. Every game, every match, every every practice, every whatever, I always have a notepad. And there'll be times where I'll be making notes even in the session of what I'm noticing. Because otherwise, how the hell are you supposed to remember everything? You know, but then and I'll try and record and think about what did I say at half time. Who was I giving the information to? Because you might start to see that there's trends. But it's also, you know, a great way as well is recording yourself. I mean, if you've got, you know, I'm at a game now, I'm watching our under-13s play, and they've got the VO up, and they're recording the full match. Great, you can watch it back. What if you don't have VO? You know, because obviously this, these things are cheap. Well, even using, like, you know, a voice note, and putting voice note on your phone, and just recording yourself and then listening back to your halftime talk or listening back to your coach interactions. Because you might listen back and we've all done it and go, oh, I didn't like the way I said that. Or, wow, I gave Yaz a lot of um, points in this session today. You know, and often I think, like, how well do we help them consolidate their learning? Um, so these are just a couple of little tools, I would say, because then you can look back and go, well, how well are they taking on board the information? How well are they progressing? Um, because... I hear that phrase a lot. I'm not against it. Uh, maybe it's a me problem. I don't know. I might be the problem. I hate it when I hear it on so many FA courses. Uh, oh, does that make sense? Does that make sense? But what if it doesn't make sense? And also, not everyone likes that phrase. You know, I've asked a lot of players and even coaches, hey, does that make sense? And some people can take it as patronising because it's, it's like we're imposing our belief on them in some cases, hey, I'm, I'm telling you this is what it is. Does that make sense? So you you with me? Well, what if it doesn't? You know, so maybe there's there's other words that we can use or phrases where, you know, we, we can say stuff and it's how do we still get the same outcome? So there's just a couple of things from me, but they're, they're more my preferences, that's all. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just yeah. things that have worked for me. Just just a tail on that as well, Joe. I think that does that make sense piece? I think it's also important to identify and be aware of the fact that well, they might think it makes sense, but how does how do they, how do you know the message has landed in the way you intended? Right. And I think that bit is fundamentally key. Um and I was just thinking out loud while um Gerald was speaking there as well, Brian, just to add on to what I said earlier. I think it's also important to understand and identify, right. Why? Why could they, and why? Why might not you not be getting success as well? So, have we taken the opposition into consideration? So, as an example of that, you know, I, I was speaking to a coach about this earlier. Yeah, you're, you know, you're claiming your team plays 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 out well from the back, but the opposition never press you. So, are you really playing out well from the back? I don't know, um, but it's just different. You know, it's just taking that into consideration. Just because you're seeing certain things 
it's being clear and aligned to the fact that actually is this actually what I want my players to be doing? Is this is this how it should look? And is this is is that approach? Am I am I are my reflections true? If you're like, are they? And I think if you take the opposition's consideration as well, and, how, and whether they're actually impacting influence on the on the ability for your players to perform certain actions, then I think that you know that kind of just adds one more layer in terms of you being able to check and clarify your understanding of their understanding, but also measure that performance piece. Um, so yeah, just a final note on that one. No, these are exactly what we want. These are good interactions. Thank you for the questions. They're brilliant. Did I answer your question, Brian? Um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, I think I could probably do that more often in terms of like, especially with academy football. In between the breaks, you know, it might be a twenty-minute quarter in between the breaks. Just kind of reassuring and finding their perspective of what I've just said to them, or what their you know objective for this particular game linked to our theme of the week should be or um and how do they kind of reason with it um so yeah everything that has been shared so far was really really useful um and i think one thing i would agree with you especially is about the the noticing statements um i'm just currently on my aya course so um just listening to into that and naturally we do it anyway in kind of all walks of life but sometimes with football you might just get molded into like generic statements open statements so I think yeah, that's been really useful for myself, especially working with the um, really young ones. So, um, but yeah, man, thank you. Just a quick one to add to that as well. I think you know about match days in particular. Something that I've I've I've, I've done for several years now. And I think it's always it's always served me quite well. It's like Gerard said, I love a notepad. I love my, I'll be making my notes, whether they're on the actual notepad or mental notes, but. The first thing I get to do is get the players in and ask them, right, so what are your thoughts? What are your observations? But actually, I task them before we go out. So before each quarter or each half or however it is operating, I'll literally say something like, look, you know, when we come in, I need some observations, I need some reflections. And it's not for me to get there to be a right and wrong answer from them necessarily, but I want to know, are they observing the same things that I'm observing? Because if they are, then we're, then, we're, then we're on the same page, which makes it easier for me to kind of move forward with some of the messages that I want to layer on top. Or it might actually just be simply that they've identified what I've identified and they've already come up with a solution for it collectively. So I think there's different ways in which you can approach it. But yeah, hopefully hopefully that helps. Um, but Gerard, I think, you know, just uh, just to round up, I think you know, it's been another quite a positive discussion. Lots, you know, lots of good points, I think, made. And obviously, thank you, David and Brian, for you your participation and obviously Brian for your question as well. I think it's really, it's a really, really useful and interesting question as well. Um, just a final note, guys, make sure you follow myself and Gerard, um, click on the comments, find out about the CPD task. And so once you complete that task, you can get an hour of CPD. As Gerard mentioned, I think it's really important to highlight CPD hours don't get credited immediately. So the back end of the month, um, all the information will be collated and submitted to the uh, submitted CFA for you to get, for you to get those CPD hours accredited. Um, so please bear with us until that point at least before you start um, chasing those up as well. Um, again, another comment was left in the in the chat just to um, highlight a new show that's just been released between myself and a colleague of mine in partnership with St. Mary's University. 
Um, and guys, yeah, just keep following us, keep jo- keep joining us for these conversations. Get involved if you're not you know if you're not confident enough to get involved on the, on the mic, just drop us a comment. We're happy to share those views as well. It's great to see the community growing um, and doing what exactly what we're here for, just to get better as coaches and help one another do that in the process. So thank you again for this evening, guys. Really appreciate it, and we'll be back next week. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.